Hey friends, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Kent Cartridge. Uh, I've got a man, I've got a lot of history with this brand, going back to my college days when I was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction. That's when I first discovered Kent, and uh, I'd mess around with other brands, cheaper brands, and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, I found Kent, and I fell in love. And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for, well, I'd say Fast Steel 2.0 is even better than the original. And Kent offers a premium shell at a sub-premium price. Check it out. It's Fast Steel 2.0. You can find it at your local retailer. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. I gotta go away. Baby, it's cold outside. This evening is big. I'm hoping that you so dropped in. Very nice. I your hands that just like mine will start to beautiful what's your my father hurry? will be pacing the floor listen to that fireplace good morning good morning good morning cable smith welcoming everybody into episode 656 of sci's lone star outdoor show uh, you may not hear that song on the radio anymore as it's apparently real rapey or something i don't get it i mean you should hear some of the rap music they play on the radio Talk about degrading stuff. Uh, but we'll play Baby It's Cold Outside on this show because we don't adhere to the whims of the woke mob. Uh, anyway, thank you for being here. And it's a great song. Uh, but thanks for being here. It is a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you folks. So do appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, we've got a great show lined up for you today. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. Black Rifle, if you know what's good for you. Uh, I like the Power Llama. Uh, that's what I've been drinking this duck season anyway. Um, but yeah, pull up that stool. Pour yourself another cup. Because off the top, uh, we're going to talk waterfowl loads. And specifically, sandhill crane hunting with our old pal Jeff Barry of Kent Cartridge. Jeff uh, came all the way from West Virginia to join me in the Texas Panhandle a few weeks back, and it was his first ever Sandhill Crane Hunt. We'll talk about that experience and the uh, the loads that we used to knock down that ribeye in the sky, which, interestingly enough, you can use lead shot on cranes in the same field where, you know, and we did one day have a goose and crane spread together, so that day we had to use steel shot because you can't shoot geese with lead shot. Real weird. And I don't know. I, we need to do a podcast with some wildlife official on 
uh, why that regulation exists. It seems crazy. But anyway, we shot the crap out of them with lead one day. Uh, oh, man, talk about just folding them up, and these birds are massive. Uh, then we'll recap another awesome experience from this season when uh, we sit down with Jordan Budd of Running Water Hunting. I just got back from a, uh, well, first week of December, I was in Nebraska hunting whitetails with a muzzleloader. That was my second time hunting with Jordan, and she is just uh, an absolutely fascinating gal and legit hunter. I mean, she spends a lot of time in the backcountry and gets it done. Uh, plus, hell of a guide, and her family, I mean, her dad, <laughs> being in camp with her dad is just uh, equally, it's one of the best parts of the experience. Uh, but yeah, we will visit with Jordan. She uh, recently got back from a doll sheep hunt, took a doll sheep ram. That was a hellacious experience that I'd love for her to share, among other things. So that's what's on the docket for today. Let's do um, another giveaway from Havilon to uh, wrap up today's opening segment. I've got a Havilon ready right here. Uh, that's one of their knife models. I think they're like 40 or 50 bucks. Most of their knives are in that price range. But it's a very versatile knife, and all you need to do to throw your hat in the ring. Oh, and by the way, Congrats to Shannon Mayo for winning last week's, or two weeks ago, he won the Havilon knife. Uh, but yeah, uh, throw your hat in the ring. Just email Havilon, that's Havilon, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Coming up next, we'll sit down with our buddy Jeff Barry of Kent Cartridge of Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use e-forms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, they also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off Virginia Parkway.
Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thanks for being here today, as we're about to talk some waterfowling, specifically field hunting for sandhill cranes, with Jeff Berry of Kent Cartridge. But before we do that, this segment brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. The 2023 convention dates are set February 22nd through the 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. I'll be there for the duration. It truly is uh, my favorite hunting show every year as uh, folks from all over the globe will congregate in SCI to not only uh, reconnect and, and book future hunts, but celebrate this outdoor lifestyle that you and I love and live. Uh, so, uh, And also, this year's convention celebrates women in hunting. So uh, that will be kind of an un- underlying theme of the event. Uh, okay, that being said, let's bring him on right now, an old friend of the show, Jeff Barry of Kent Cartridge. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, Cable. Great to see you. How did you enjoy your trip to Texas? Oh, it, it was an absolute blast. I tell you, I, I have never uh, hunted sandhill cranes before until this trip. It's been a bucket list of mine, and it, it did not disappoint. The, the trip, the, the camaraderie, everything was was absolutely tremendous. We got in a late, you know, late season dove hunt one afternoon. Uh, couldn't have been better. Couldn't have written a better script. What was the travel like for you? Because for anyone you know that doesn't live in Texas, you're probably if you, if Sandhill Crane is on your bucket list, you're going to have to fly into Lubbock, Texas, for you know where where we hunted anyway. Uh, we hunted with Final Descent Guide Service. So you're com- you were coming from what airport? Uh, I was coming out of uh, Washington, D.C., Dulles, and uh, flew into Lubbock. Fairly uh, fairly straightforward, just a nice little connection there in Houston, and, and they had some good flight times into Lubbock that worked out uh, tremendously. Lubbock is an easy airport to navigate, so uh, it was it was pretty pretty seamless for me. Okay. Let's talk about some of the loads that we used and we had to we kind of broke it up and i'm glad that the our guide called me because he was like hey bring some make sure you have some uh, non-toxic loads too because i was just going to bring all lead this funny thing you can shoot sandhill cranes with lead shot i don't understand that law like (laughs) because if you shoot geese in the same field you have to use steel shot so it doesn't make sense but i'm not complaining about it because i mean I, i enjoy shooting thumping them with lead uh, highly effective but he was like he called actually i was loading the truck up and you guys had sent me a bunch of lead shot um but i threw a couple more cases that i happen to have on hand of uh, of steel shot in the truck because he was like hey there's one field that has uh some cacklers meaning lesser canada geese uh and you can't shoot those with lead so make sure you have steel shot only for that day so we did now they didn't play ball we had some acting like they were going to decoy we probably could have shot at one group, uh, but they were a little finicky. So we still got our, uh, I think we had four hunters the first day. And it took us a little while to scratch that one out. Maybe until like 930. Yeah, uh, for sure. The first day with using the steel, uh, I was I was really pleasantly surprised with the performance of steel on a, on a bird like a sandtail crane that's uh, uh, a little larger bird, it seems like. And, and so we were using our fast steel 2.0. Uh, excellent product all around, and and uh, I think we were using the ounce and a quarter payload uh, 
uh, it gives you a good balance of, uh, of shot uh, and then velocity as well. Uh, th- I think number two, number two steel is what we were using there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so use that the first day, second day, no yeah. geese where we're going. And, and sometimes the guides do this. They, they'll put groups together if they have what I'm going to say is like a slam dunk barn burner hunt where they've got seven, 8,000 cranes in a field. And they know it's like, Hey, we could do what we did yesterday. And you guys, you four could go out and scratch out your limit. It might take a couple hours, but you know, or we could be done in like an hour and just have all hell break loose. And, uh, and so that's what we went with. We combined with some guys from Iowa, another, uh, husband and wife and their dog from Indiana. And it was, I mean, it was a, a barrel burner. Yeah, it was epic, uh, for sure. And, and, and we, we used fast lead that day because there were no geese around. And, uh, so it was a mix of two and three quarter inch, uh, and three inch lead upland loads. And, uh, boy, did it put a hurting on those, uh, on those cranes. We had a, I mean, less than an hour and we had a, a 12 man limit. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. <laughs> My favorite moment was the 12 bird rain out. Yeah. We yeah, got 12 yeah. out of one group. It was insane. And what was amazing about that to me is watching all the birds land in the spread and how patient they were on calling the shot. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, they briefed us uh, about how, how smart these birds are and they'll just kind of hover and pick us out. And uh, so we, we must have been really well hidden, allowed them to be patient, call the shot for that. Uh, it, it worked out perfectly. And it's almost like the 12 of us had hunted together for years. Everyone seemed to pick out a bird and, and uh was was a thing of beauty actually cable yeah the hide is always a big part of of trying to trick sandhill cranes to come to come into the spread to get them close and that process takes it's probably the thing that takes the longest putting out the decoys not that big of a deal uh we had a mix of of well we used all full bodies both days but first day mix of geese and cranes and second day all cranes but you talk about the hide, and we were using A-frame uh, blinds. Got to put those together. They're brushed in nicely, but then you've got to put tumbleweeds all over them. You field hunted um, probably up north a lot more than I have. Was how was this? Was this any different? I don't. I imagine there's not tumbleweeds. That's kind of a Texas thing. Well, no. The, you know, back where I'm from in Nebraska, we do get our share of tumbleweeds. But when we're hunting in fields, we were. We were usually in using pit blinds that have been dug out in the season or or uh, uh, layout blinds. Uh, hunting along the uh, field edge uh, with with these A-frames was really a, a unique circumstance for me. I, I think it was brilliant. It worked out well. Uh, if anyone hasn't hunted out of the A-frame blinds, they're, they're really uh, – offers you a great vantage point and easy to get out and shoot to – and, and the birds don't seem to be terribly wise to them, maybe like they are layout lines. So it was, uh, that was a unique uh, setting for me, for sure, Cable. Uh-huh. Well, and the benefit for, for an A-frame compared to a pit blind was, well, they're mobile. The pit blind's dug out. You're committed to hunting that spot, but these birds move around. So one day you're hunting them in an old cornfield. The next year, the second day we were in a peanut field. Yeah, peanut and some cotton and uh, and corn. Yeah, it was it was amazing the variety of uh, of crops that we were hunting these birds in. Um, so there's definitely a misconception, and I think people also associate this with honkers, you know, greater Canada geese. 
that you need to shoot them with BBs, but you don't. I mean, we're yeah. using uh, two um, number twos, three inch number twos the first day, and then three inch. And there was even some two and three quarter inch shells, a case of that too, uh, for, for day number two. So you don't have to go big, um, especially if the birds are cooperating. I mean, if you're past shooting them at 60 yards, maybe that's a different story, but uh, you can you can hammer them with just about anything uh, as, as far as, you know, a reliable, something with a good payload, but it doesn't have to be huge shot size. No, no, it doesn't. And there, there's multiple schools of thought on that cable. Uh, I, I tend to gravitate toward the... Uh, uh, heavier payload of, of smaller shot. It gives you a denser pattern. So in a way you have more chances for a lethal hit. So if you're a, you know, maybe a BB guy, maybe try, try ones or even going down to twos, you're just going to get a denser pattern, meaning more pellets in that, you know, 30 or uh, 30 inch circle at 40 yards and a bird, bird, like a crane. I mean, we just watched how, how lethal, uh, the number two steel was on these cranes and then day two with the number four lead shot which is a it's a great pheasant load was was amazingly effective on those cranes and that yeah, you know, number a, four lead shots throwing a very dense pattern yeah Even there's a pheasant on the box of those yes yeah that's so i mean it's an upland designed to be an upland load uh, and, and, and talking to some of the folks uh that, that were uh at final descent with us they mentioned uh, back in the day, uh, uh, one of them did that they used lead number fours for geese. Uh, so a lot of us, myself included, were too young to really remember shooting lead at waterfowl. But uh, yeah. lead number fours on the sandhill cranes, very, very effective. As far as dove hunting goes, you know that that's a big thing in Texas. We account for literally half of the entire country's dove harvest every year. And it's like, I think, 8 million morning dove and 5 million white wing. It's, it's an astronomical number. Why it's not a, a holiday, September 1st, like my kids don't go to school. I know there's some other dads who pull their kids out of school, celebrate that pastime, that tradition. Is dove hunting a big thing where you're from? I mean, you're originally from Nebraska, but uh, with Kent, now you live in West Virginia. Yeah, Nebraska it is. It's, it's, it's September 1. It's, it's almost like a holiday. But usually what happens is we get one or two good shoots in and then and then we have weather that moves them along and we're done. Uh, they come to us. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And and there's nothing like hunting in Texas in the, in the lower 48. Uh, it's pretty amazing. So it's night and day difference between where, I, where I'm from in Nebraska and Texas. I've had it several times. And, and the hunt we just had here in November in Lubbock, Texas, uh, would – I would say was, was better than say an opening day in Nebraska, usually in terms of the amount of birds, the amount of opportunities. And, and, uh, that was just kind of an impromptu afternoon hunt that we did. And in West Virginia here, we, we've got some opportunities, but you, it, it's really fairly quickly, just, uh, just like Nebraska, whereas Texas, you guys have, uh, have that opportunity maybe much longer and, and much more plentiful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I shot a limit. And that just to, just to give people an idea of uh, how good the the late season hunt was, and then still there were bonus pigeons and Eurasian collared doves. I shot three or four of those that are that don't even count towards your bag limit. Uh, That's right. So lots of shooting going on that afternoon. Anyway, uh, let's take a quick break, Jeff. I want to come back and hit on something that you and I discussed while we were in camp, and that is this idea. And you know, it's being 
promoted by fake hunting organizations like backcountry hunters and anglers. They're saying everyone should just uh, voluntarily switch to non-toxic shot for the betterment of uh, what? It doesn't make sense to me. And there's is there science to support it? We'll discuss that and whether manufacturers can really just flip a switch and start making uh, non-toxic loads only. What, what impact would that have on the consumer, by the way? Uh, so much to discuss there. Uh, that's coming up next. That segment brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Reactor wireless trail camera. You can find one at Tractor Supply. And I think uh, for our, like maybe 100 bucks this holiday season. So, uh, yeah, pick one up while they're on sale uh, and start getting trail camera images sent right to your cell phone. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. I also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers Finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Don't forget that report, Bill. Yes, sir. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Kiss my ass. Kiss his ass. Kiss your ass. Happy Hanukkah. Outside the Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. This segment is brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the 940 Pro Waterfowl. It's what I used on the Sandhill and uh, Dove Hunt that we're talking about today with Kent Cartridge's Jeff Berry. And so without further ado, uh, let's get back into that conversation because we've got a very interesting topic to dive into. I want to talk about something that we discussed in camp as the pressure from this administration 
continues to mount regarding forcing hunters to switch to non-toxic shot. And, you know, what does that look like? Because I think there's this idea that shot shell manufacturers can just flip the switch and overnight just start producing non-toxic shot. Boy, I tell you, that's that, that gets us uh, to a slippery slope that non-toxic shot for for everything I mean, would would be pretty disastrous for uh, for firearm or for ammunition manufacturers just because uh, you have to look at a lot of new technology. Steel is very tough on on machines. Steel is very tough on uh, uh, on barrels. So you need specialized wads for for steel and for for us to make that switch would be somewhat difficult and and really so at the end of the day we don't support any further regulation in terms of uh uh non-toxic shot than what's already out there uh the end user would see an an increase in price uh for sure if if that if that came to fruition uh and and really uh further lack of ammunition because it does take longer to load steel lead's a very forgiving uh product uh we can crank our machines up and load that pretty quick most major manufacturers can steel you've got to load a little slower so less is going to come out the come out of the loaders if, if uh, you're uh, making steel now there's bismuth out there but that's a much higher price than than, than lead uh you know that's certainly an alternative but uh it, the end user would notice a, a difference in the product if uh, if further regulations uh came to be well, and the price is the main thing that I want to focus on because I think the goal, I don't think, I know, part of the goal is to price people out of hunting one way or another. So, yeah. you you know, you're paying, and, you know, when I first started dove hunting, you could pick up a box for three ninety nine or whatever. Right. Those days are long gone. Now it's, if you see one for $7.99, you're like, oh, what a deal. Uh, but you told me that the margins on lead like dove and target loads is that's the least profitable thing that shot show manufacturers make. It, it, it certainly is. And it's, it, it's just, the market has driven it that way uh, over the years. And, and maybe the situation here, uh, what's happened over the last couple of years has allowed that to change just a little bit, but it's still a very low margin product uh, uh, for, for most of us out there and, and even the retailers. Uh, uh, and, and so any any movement in a more expensive shot type would really send that those prices through the roof for for, for the uh, for the consumer. Right. So, I, I think people need to connect the dots. So it's it's bad for you guys. It's bad for us. Ultimately, it's bad for conservation. And people are like, well, how could switch, switching to non shot, non toxic shot, be bad for conservation? Well, in North America, we don't manage populations on an individual one animal level we manage on a population level so and i've had this uh conversation with um oh i forget his name but uh what is the uh what's the governing body for for shooting sports i forget uh, we would could be an nssf or yes, Sam. nssf sorry nssf i've had their uh, vp on and we talked about this and he explained like if one animal dies from ingesting lead shot in a, from a carcass, that's really unfortunate. But how many other animals are saved through Pittman-Robertson dollars? Yeah, and from that species population, 
perspective, like it's minuscule. And, you know, when it, when science dictates that we need to change like the California condor, okay, fine, let's do that. Uh, ducks are ingesting too much lead. They're possibly dying. Okay. We're conservationists. We switch to steel shot. I don't see any science. I don't see any other species today that are negatively affected from dying of lead poisoning from us, from us as hunters. So it's not warranted. And I'm not kidding you, Jeff. As soon as I got to deer camp, cause I went straight to deer camp from, from a uh, crane camp, crane camp. That's interesting to say. Uh, but, uh, there's BHA backcountry hunters and anglers posting, uh, uh, on all of their social media. They didn't say you have to switch to lead, uh, to non-toxic shot, but they were encouraging everyone go switch, go switch, go switch. And I don't yeah. I expect that from a fake hunting group like them that, uh, that, that say, Oh, we're all about public lands and pro hunting, but yet you want to shoot the thing in the foot that funds conservation. That, uh, you know, very true. It's, it's it, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be up to the individual to decide there's products out there. There's non-toxic products out there. There's, uh, or, or non-lead products out there on the marketplace that, that people can choose. But, uh, we'd rather follow the science and let that uh, uh, take us where it needs to be. Uh, and right now, we don't think that that science would, uh, would uh, necessitate any further movement towards non-toxic shot. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from a company that probably uh, the majority of the stuff they already, that, that you guys produce is already non-toxic anyway. It, it is. I, at the end of the day, we are, our roots are, are in waterfowl hunting and we started that, we started right after the uh, uh, non-toxic shot mandate. So that's really, I mean, we do have competency in it, but we make some really good uh, traditional ammunition products for sure. And, and, but we don't see any, any need for further, further movement uh, uh, to uh, uh, non-lead products. Are ammunition manufacturers united in this front? I, I would hope so. I, it, it's hard to hard to speak for other manufacturers, but I, I, I would hope so. I would hope that they would look at uh, 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 the, the science behind everything and 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 make good determinations on what they do. And and, and at the end of the day, it's a market. It's market driven. Uh, so if the market wants to go all non toxic, then the, the manufacturers will. But right now, there's still a market for traditional ammunition. And and then the consumers will end up you know having to foot the bill for the increase in price right yeah uh you know california has a complete non-toxic you know system there that's they, they don't allow lead shot anymore and i think that's a perfect reason for everyone else to be like well let's not do what california does because they don't do anything right <laughs> like they don't manage their wildlife correctly uh you got freaking mountain lions running around la because hunters you know there's no season on mountain lions yet they have to pay government trappers to go kill them anyway. Uh, so and that's grounds enough for me. Like, oh, California did it? Well, I want to do the opposite. But you did mention to me that um, Europe, is. it's very likely that Europe will go to all um, non-toxic loads because somebody said something that created a firestorm. Yeah, uh I, I'm probably not as well versed on it as I should be, but yeah, in Europe, they're going to be going to an all out lead ban in terms of ammunition. And it, it's really going to impact them over there because of all, all of the guns that they have over there, they're side by sides, they're, they're over unders, uh, fixed chokes. Uh, they're, 
they're definitely going to see an impact because you're not going to be shooting steel on a lot of those guns. They're, they're going to need some sort of malleable, non-toxic product like a bismuth or, or, or like our, you know, like uh, a tungsten that's cut with a different type of, uh, of metal. And it's getting pushed on them too fast, too rapidly. And, and you're going to see less participation as a result in Europe. And, and uh, it's something that we need to pay attention uh, to here because uh, uh, that philosophy could make its way across the pond or in a way it already has in California. Yeah. And I think that's an important point that you brought up these older guns and in places where, you know, it's uh well, and, 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 this happens here too you've got a, a very special family over under or you spend a, a lot of money on a high dollar upland gun you know um that's part of the nostalgia of the sport for a lot of people and now you've got to get you've got to pay 30 dollars for a box of ammo to shoot that gun without destroying the barrel that that, that that's exactly right so that's uh customers are used to paying Ten dollars a box are now going to have to pay thirty dollars a box. So, especially over in Europe, when this when this goes down. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we will uh, we'll keep fighting the good fight on that front. And again, if the science was to ever dictate that, hey, we all need to switch to non toxic, too many animals are dying on a population level, then I'd be the first one to say, let's do that. But that's not reality. No. So, no, not, not one bit, cable. Yeah. Well, my friend, uh, I certainly enjoyed having you down to Texas. Thanks so so much for making the trip. It was uh, an absolute blast. Hope that it lived up to your expectations. And then some, Gable. Good deal. And uh, and I did see the video, Steve. Our, our cameraman sent me the uh, video. I passed that along to you, and he got some great footage. You guys will release that uh, whenever you want to. But, uh, yeah, there's some some pretty cool footage in there. Yeah, we'll put it up on our social media here shortly and, and let everyone know what it's like to uh, to uh, hunt sandhill cranes in the panhandle of Texas. It, uh, he captured it well. Well, hope you have a great season. Likewise, Cable. So there you have it, the uh, real inside scoop on what would happen if we succumb to this idea that we all need to just go to non-toxic shot overnight, which is why we have to continue to fight those types of uh, proposals in the legislative process. Uh, of co- now, of course, Deb Howland likes to just use her authority and mandate it on WMAs. But uh, when we can fight it, we will. And for all of you morons who championed Biden and subsequently Deb Howland as friends of the hunting and conservation communities, we'll let Bill Ingvall take this one. Here's your sign. <laughs> that segment was brought to you by Big and J White Tail Attractants and Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm gonna graduate when you're off my mind. It's time to tell you about Protect Products. Veteran owned and made in the USA. Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is 
They don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille, pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes, storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisspecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. You told me there was more to life than just getting by. If you want your dreams, the only limit is the sky. If you use your head, then you won't have to break your Cable Smith, back. welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for sharing a part of your holiday season with me. I do appreciate it more than you guys know. And... Um, I got a nice email this past week, and while I love this job, can't imagine ever doing anything else, to be frank, it's nice to get these kind of notes, and I won't say the guy's name, but uh, uh, one of the listeners, yeah. these these kind of things keep me motivated, but he said, uh, it's been a while since I've written, but I have kept up with the show through all the madness. Great job as always. Congrats to Henry on his second buck. That's awesome. Sounds like you're doing a great job of keeping him involved and busy in the outdoors. As a sportsman who spent many, many days as a child in the woods and water, I can say those are memories he will not let go. Some of my toes still don't work right decades later, but good and bad, they are memories of myself with my dad, uncle, and late grandfather. Keep up the good work with the kiddos' conservation efforts and sharing those efforts with all of us. It's appreciated more than I can express in words. So uh, to that listener, thank you very much. I do appreciate it. It keeps me fired up, to say the least. Uh, Not that I don't stay pretty fired up, but uh, it's validating, and uh, that means a lot, so thank you. This segment of the show brought to you by NUMA Outdoors and the Pathfinder Pant. It's what I'm wearing these days, whether that's uh, heading to the lease, sitting in the blind, filling feeders, or... Uh, just to the kiddos' soccer games. It's uh, comfortable, stylish, and rugged enough to fit every scenario you can throw at it. It's the Pathfinder. You can find it at numaoutdoors.com. With that being said, let's bring on our next guest. We've been friends for a little while now, and we actually taped this in a rustic old farmhouse overlooking a beautiful river in the Nebraska Sandhills. It's my pleasure to welcome Jordan Budd, of running water hunting to the show. Thanks, man. It's Thanks great for to having have me you. on. Yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Great to have you here, actually. Back for mm-hmm. my, my second time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a lot different than the first time. The first time I did not go home with the deer. It was no one, it was, you know, look in the mirror time. It's only one person <laughs> to blame for that. But, you know, sometimes things uh, happen. I told you, I don't think I was, I've ever been as cold as the first, might have been the second morning. I don't remember, but, um, we were here for with First Light at the mm-hmm. time, and Jonah, mutual friend and photographer, was with me, and we were just sitting. It, it was single digits, and the wind was blowing, mm-hmm. and I had on all of my warmest clothes and layered up and freezing my butt off. 
Can't I remember get it being really cold. I was looking through some of those pictures the other day, and uh, there was no snow, uh-uh. but it was just freezing cold. Yeah, yeah. Windy. The wind will bite you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so didn't go home with the deer, and uh, we the the muzzleloader the rifle sling like came undone. It hit mm-hmm. the ground, and then we had hell like getting back on paper. And then your dad, who was like the life of the the camp here, <laughs> yeah. He and I were like, well, we'll just use Jordan's muzzle loader, and mm-hmm. we loaded it, and it was already loaded. It was already loaded, <laughs> so we screwed that up. I just it was really just glad one thing you after didn't. Another. Just glad you didn't shoot it yeah. after that. And then, uh, so I was like, you know what? That left. I think like, literally look back on that, and I've wounded elk and stuff, and with a bow, and that happens, you know, and those leave a bad taste in my mouth. But that yeah. one was just like one thing after another. I was like, I'm rebooking and coming back. So two years later, we're here again. First morning. 30 minutes, 10 point down. Done. Awesome. Yeah. I yeah. called you. I was like, hey, there's a dead deer over here. And at first I was like, is it yours <laughs> or did you just find one? No, <laughs> oh, he was very, very nice and very dead 10 point. Yeah. Uh, 128 yards with the muzzle loader, and just right through the shoulder, smoked him. Yeah. He stood up on his hind legs and fell over and was, was dead. Mm-hmm. And you like totally redeemed yourself. Right, right. It <laughs> felt good. And... Uh, but I was so excited to come back because this place is, it's a very special place, this part of the world up until that time, you know, mm-hmm. I've never been to Northeast Nebraska. Uh, and for me coming from Texas, the fastest way is to fly into Rapid City, South Dakota, yep. rent, a, rent a car and it's like a two, mi- uh, two hour drive from there. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. You could drive through the Badlands and go see Mount Rushmore if you want. Yeah, go through the Pine Ridge. Uh, yeah. Part of, uh, I guess, is that. South Dakota and Nebraska? Uh, Yeah. There's like just the Pine Ridge area. It's like north of, I don't know, it basically is from like Shadron area and even over further west than that. And it just follows along and runs like north of Rushville, north of Gordon, just kind of a big strip of like canyon pine country. And mm-hmm. then you go down to like flat fields. Well, describe where we are. Describe what, what the sand hills are. So we're we're in the sand hills. Um, yeah. We're kind of on the edge. We're on the north. It's pretty much like the northwestern edge of the sand hills, but um, we're right along the Niagara River. So here, you know, you got like river hardwood bottoms. Um, you know, that's pretty classic whitetail country, I would say. And then you get off of those bottoms, and it's like open. You know, super open. Um, rolling like choppy sand hills yeah. and uh yeah they are just what they sound like the sand i mean it's really just like beach sand if you but there's vegetation down. on them yeah i think there's like four inches of topsoil on the whole thing so mm. okay and your family has had this property since like the 1930s i believe yeah my grandpa bought the place like the original place in 39 hmm and um, it's been added on to since then. But Your dad was born here. Dad was born here, yeah. I was and it's still here. running cows. And, mm-hmm. uh, he told me he's like, you'll have like four or five hundred head of cattle yeah. here. Yeah, right in there. And I asked him like, um, I like to visit with your dad. And so we mm-hmm. talk about things like property taxes. And he's like, oh, the people in Lincoln <laughs> yeah. and Omaha are sticking it to us, you know. Yeah. They, they, things never change. And so, so, you know, can you make a living? In 2022, running, you know, running cattle on the family property. So it's, the margins are thin, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it. They add in stuff. You mm-hmm. know, like dad's got kind of a side hustle and 
always like always did um and my mom works in town at the bank so yeah they make it work so when did you shoot your first deer here Mm, i think when i was 12 that would have been the first year that you can shoot a deer in nebraska legally 12 yeah yeah i didn't know that i know some states have those kind of what what i think are kind of silly regulations like if you have a kid in a blind and your a parent sitting there with them, I think it's really your kid will tell you when they're ready to do that. Yeah, there are some states. Is Texas like that? We don't have no. You, you don't. Now it's you funny because you see limit, like really. right, like a four year old. Yeah. With a twelve point buck, and you're like, uh, is he really going to appreciate <laughs> that? Yeah. Does he? Yeah, I don't know. But uh, my son has killed three deer and one exotic and. I never pushed it on him because I was afraid mm-hmm. doing this for a living. Like, I don't want him to resent that or like make it make him feel like dad's making me do this. Mm-hmm. So he can't, you know, I told him whenever you're ready. When he was seven, he was like, I think I want to start shooting a rifle. And I was like, okay, cool. And uh, yeah, he shot, he shot a nice buck last weekend, his second one. Uh, he's about to be 10 though. What did you shoot your first year with? What caliber? He, he shoots a 243, which is about as much gun as a 60-pound kid can handle. 257, Roberts. Oh, wow. Okay. Is when I shot my first year with nice. model 70, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. So when did you start outfitting? When did running water hunting become a thing? When was it born? Um, I would say really when I was in high school, I started. We were kind of, we've had some outfitters that have been, you know, around. They kind of come and go. And then just like family friends that would come out and hunt so like i would always go with them Mm -hmm. you know even when i couldn't actually hunt but i would go with them and uh so i'd always been really interested in it that way and then we were in between outfitters at the time and i've always been i really like the business side of it and like the outfitter side of it like the logistical like i like that yeah and i just was like oh we should you know, the name of the ranch is, um, like Bud's running water ranch. So I was like, I just do running water hunting. And, uh, pretty much when I was in high school, I started doing that. I would do semi-guided, semi-guided guys. And literally, I think, I think I got the first clients off of like Craigslist. Really? <laughs> yeah. thousand bucks. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there's a couple of dudes from, I think they're from Florida maybe. They came up and were probably like, what the hell is this kid? <laughs> like, what are we doing? But it was, you know, good place to hunt. And I would have them come in on like a Friday. So I would hunt with them Saturday, Sunday, give them the layout. And then I would go back to school during right. the week. And, um, yeah, I would just, I, j- there's a couple of times I remember them, you know, they would go out in the mornings, I would go to school and they'd text me and be like, hey, we got a buck. Nice. Yeah. And so, so back then... They probably had to cook their own meals and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now they're it's fully staying in the same house. Okay. Yeah, but they were. I just had them take care of their own meals. And yeah. it seemed easier. Which now, I mean, we eat very well. Yeah, you guys now take it's, care of us. Yeah, you know, now it's not that it wasn't like super. It wasn't very legit back then. I mean, it was the same hunting, and the hunting right. was really good. But as far as like the whole outfitted portion of it, hmm. yeah, all of our hunts are fully guided now. I don't even um, do semi-guided hunts anymore. Uh, and yeah, food, lodging, like, you know, we got a guide. We're pretty much like two on one for the most part. Mm-hmm. Sometimes during archery season, when you're running guys back and forth to the stands, like 
do you need two on one? Not really. Right. So there we go like three on one because that is what can fit in a vehicle. Uh-huh. And we'll run them out, set them in the stands, and then we'll go out and glass and scout and, you know, just kind of see what the deer seem to be doing. And if we need to make adjustments, we can do that. And then we just wait for them to call and see if they got one shot or not. Right. So what is it, what would you say is like a nice representation of what a whitetail trophy would be for this area you know i sell them as like 130 plus mm-hmm. um i really think if you give it the full five days uh like a 140 is obtainable right um they're definitely running around out here they're well we saw one through the through the spotting scope yesterday yeah it's a hell of a hell of a nice deer yeah yeah and you know it seems like about every year we'll shoot maybe like one one fifty buck, mm-hmm. um, but we're kind of down in the like in that one thirty five ish and up is kind of what right. I think is a good is a good expectation to have. Like if you hunt the full, right? You know, hunt your five. You days. guys also have mule deer, which Nebraska is interesting because like my tag is good for either or, right? So or la- la- yes. first time I came, it was, I don't know, maybe I just have a white tail tag. This no, time. you still, it is still good for either. Uh-huh. Um, the kicker here is we, the river is actually a dividing line between unit boundaries. So on the North side of the river, it's the, it's a, I think it's the Pine Ridge. It's a mule deer conservation area now that's new this year. So, um, that's a pain in the ass for you. Yeah. It, it's huge. pain. In the ass. <laughs> um, but cause usually like it's just never been that before mm-hmm. so as long as we have like rifle tags are all split up per unit archery and muzzleloader statewide okay so uh since they did the i think there was only gosh i don't want to get this wrong but there was a very limited number of tags in the mule deer conservation area for mule deer that were going to go to non-residents and they sold out basically like immediately. Um, I had a couple guys during rifle season that got their, their mule deer tags, which was cool. But, uh, archery is still statewide and you can shoot a mule deer in that area during archery, but you cannot for muzzleloader. Okay. So, um, that pinched us a little bit for this year. Yeah. But, but you said uh, you have a few, a few mule deer. Well, you, ha- you have mule deer. Yeah. You've shot a hell of a, a hell of a mule deer here. Yeah. Yeah. I've shot like a couple pretty nice ones. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, here over the years, but those were really, I mean, the one especially, you know, he was like high 190s probably after he dried. And that was really rare. Would you call it an anomaly or something? It was yeah. just kind of like, like I almost didn't believe it yeah. when, you know, I saw him. So, uh, we got him, but I remember even when I was a kid that we had more mule deer and we had, I think we had better bucks. Um, one thing that's happened is the whitetail numbers are just like skyrocketing mm-hmm. and it went from more of what I would consider when I was a kid, like a 60, 40 split to where we're down into 80, 20 split mm-hmm. probably. And, um, <coughs> whitetail are just known like those whitetail bucks are just known to be aggressive as hell anyway. And mule deer just don't really, they aren't as aggressive. So, so they're more docile. They get beat up a little bit. And the white tails run them out. Get, oh yeah. They get, oh yeah. They run them out. Really? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's like some of what we're seeing mm. here. I guess I could compare that to 
like you know, obviously Texas, we have feeders everywhere. Yeah. And if you have a place that has whitetail and axis deer, the axis deer tend to dominate those really? setups. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. They run, they run the whitetail off. I saw a video the other day of a whitetail buck that was like running an elk off. Yes, that mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and ran like, ran bull right off. Right, and the yeah. elk just like, I don't want any part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was gnarly. Yeah. Um. So okay, talk about your background though in the hunting industry because you started at, you yeah. started outfitting and then but you've also I don't want to call it a side hustle because you you do this but you also you know now you're with Meat Eater mm-hmm. and you did a podcast for Rock Slide for a long time. Yeah. So you've you've filmed you've done a lot of things uh, yeah i've done a lot of things in the hunting industry that all <clears throat> kind of fed into each other which like has worked out really well you mm-hmm. know in the end um i started writing when i was in high school for uh, a little website called self-filmed and then i was also still like i was writing a you know like tactics or some gear stuff we had a few sponsors and then from that i started writing a little bit more rock slide got a hold of me and so i started doing more gear articles and stuff for them so i've written in the in the industry mostly about gear like that's really what i've for whatever reason i li- i really like gear so there's that and then uh also when i was in you know high school i was like messing around with a camera and trying to film and i don't even really know why i was doing it mm. um i just liked it i guess right. but like filming wildlife you know, that led into trying to film some of my own hunts. And then I started, when I got to college, I started filming buddies and stuff. And then that's where I could really like, it's hard self-filming and getting the shots that you want. But when you're filming somebody else, that's really when I could like get the shots that I wanted and try to get more creative. So then I'd start putting those together. And so that started kind of building up the media mm-hmm. side of the things or more so like the videography side of things um so i had my like the writing the videography uh then when i got to college i met a company out of uh cody wyoming and they were looking for a videographer and somebody like kind of young and gung-ho to to go do some sheep hunts so they invited me to to go out there and so i did that for gosh i basically did that for four years and what i did was my first year, it was supposed to be uh, going into a semester of college. Like it had been my um, false, uh, my first semester of my sophomore year in college, and I took it off to go do this oh, really? filming stuff. Yeah, the priori- priorities. Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> Kirk didn't really think it was so awesome at first, uh, but I did. I took just like dropped all my classes, uh, went to Wyoming, and started filming. And then I would pick back up college in the spring. And then, so I did that basically for two years. And then my third fall going in with them, they offered me a full-time job. So I ended up moving to Wyoming and working for that company for another couple of years. And just doing, filming hunts all over. What's the the sheep your favorite thing to film? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I never really thought I wanted to go on a sheep hunt before that. And now I do. I'm like addicted to them. Yeah, well, and you just shot a doll sheep. I shot last a doll year, sheep. Yeah. yeah, last year in and Alaska, right? Mm-hmm. Yep, in the Brooks Range. Well, that's uh, way up there on my bucket list, and I want to go into detail on that next. Uh, so we'll we'll leave that as a tease. And that segment was brought to you by Vortex Optics and their twelve days of Vortex 
Christmas sale that is going on right now. So uh, be sure to take advantage of flash deals and uh, discounts on optics, on uh, Vortex wear, apparel, flannel shirts, caps, hoodies, all kinds of stuff. As the uh, 12 Days of Vortex rolls on, you can find uh, more info on their social outlets or at vortexoptics.com. We'll be right back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide Scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. I can be high, wild, and free Where the Mackenzies meet the heavens You can hike through God's out of street Chad Slagle's High, Wild, and Free Bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show Presented by Mossberg Firearms Uh, This segment of the show is brought to you by the Armasite Contractor Thermal Rifle Scope. Just put one on the old 6.5 Creedmoor last week. I'm ready to uh, rock and roll with that thing. And you guys know how I feel about the 6.5. But when it comes to pigs and coyotes, pretty lethal round. Uh, yeah. And uh, the Armasite Contractor, while I am just getting used to it, this thing is bad to the bone. I encourage that you, you head over to your dealer, give one in your hands. Hell, come out to the... Uh, upcoming SCI show. Take a peek. You're going to want one. I love it. And check this out. It took me three shots to zero that thing in. Out of the box. Absolutely amazing. Uh, again, the contractor from Armorsight. Okay. Uh, with that being said, let's get back into our conversation with our good friend, Jordan Bud. So you told me, you know, we've spent a little bit of time together this week, just one-on-one, and you told mm-hmm. me uh, that that was a pretty hellacious deal it came down to the last minutes talk about that because yeah you know people are like oh i got up at four in the morning and you know did three vertical miles whatever <laughs> you actually like hiked all night long essentially yeah we did it so um basically so it was set up as like like a nine full days of hunting and they already have I got in on the opener, so they ended up, they dropped us like a couple of days before season. We basically had like a full day of scouting and that was basically for, it's like scouting, but that's to like move and, you know, move around the country and I guess try to find the sheep. So a little bit of scouting. So hopefully you can be set up on the Mm -hmm. first day in a good spot. And so we'd seen some sheep and, uh, the first day tried to get, 
tried to get in range of them, but also it's it's light like all the time. Right. There, that time of year, pretty much all the time. There's like four hours in the night where it's like pretty dark, but there's no shooting hours. So we uh, we had been watching these sheep. They went over a saddle. We tried to follow them into a saddle. And the next morning we weren't able to find them. And then we had weather come in. So most of the time on these, some of the reason that these hunts are so long is because, especially in the North Country, is just because of weather. Like you just have to allow yourself weather days for like maybe an entire system to pass. So that's what we got sucked into starting that second day. And, you know, it would clear up a little bit and you could go out and look, but um, are you in like a like one person tent? Basically, yeah, yeah. We each had our that own tent. That sucks to but be socked small. in and like I have a uh, Nemo one person tent. Yeah, it is small. I cannot imagine being in that thing for like days upon days. Yeah, I mean, mine was a two person, but it was still one person. Like. Right, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if your room. buddies, your hunting buddies, we all were like sharing a tent. You could like like joke a big around. tent, right. or Something, yeah. But that's like, like that's uh, that's a little too much solitude. I think like just yeah. monotonous, right? Well, the our buddy Jonah that filmed your hunt here, he filmed my hunt in Alaska. We rolled out of the tent the first morning, and he was like, "Well, first night in the tent was good." <laughs> 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 it was like his first. It was like his first like mountain, big uh-huh. mountain experience. And he just like crushed it. Like I could tell he was pretty uncomfortable some of those times. Right. Um, but yeah, he kicked ass. So there was just a lot of weather days that were, you know, it was raining, it was snowing and you can hunt in that stuff, but we were all socked in so you can't see. So right. if you can't see, I mean, you're kind of. What's the point? Yeah. What's the point? So we spent a lot of days in the tents and there was a lot of like really nasty, harsh winds. And that was, I remember being, I think we were on like the we maybe had three days left of the hunt or so. And I remember being in the tent, I had my inReach and I would pull up weather on my inReach and it just had snowflakes for the rest of the days. And I was like, there was so much buildup to this hunt and we finally get here and like, we can't even hunt because we right. can't see. And it was just like some pretty extreme weather. So, uh, our last day there's going to be break and we had, the snow had broken up a little bit and we had seen some sheep and moved over to them. And on the next, like across the valley. So usually you're like above tree line. You're trying to, um, well you're, they call it more like above the brush line. Um, so you're just in like really rocky terrain. You're like, you know, going on the spines of, of the ridges. And that's how you move around. It's just like following the ridges. You can't it looks like it's easy to just go down and across real quick, but right. the brush and it just like kills you, mm-hmm. kills your time. So it's super hard to walk through. So you just follow the ridges. Well, we had found, our guide had found three, two ram. There was, I think there was five rams altogether. There was two of them that he thought were legal and they were probably... As the crow flies, they were probably a little over two miles from us. And so he couldn't see a lot, but he could just tell there's a lot, seemed to be a lot of mass, like down at, would be like the bottom of their curl. He's like, you can just kind of like imagine the rest of their curl and about where they would tip out at. He's like, I'm pretty sure that one of those is for sure legal and probably two of them. So 
we were at that point we had like snow and fog still moving in and out and i just remember being about devastated after we found (laughs) them and we had a big snowstorm that moved through and we're just sitting there like we find we found sheep but we can't really like traverse to them um if it was going to be snowing and whatever so that broke out about probably 4 30 the guide was looking at the sheep and we were kind of making the decision like okay do we stay up here where we are and just keep moving along a little bit and hoping that we run into some rams because we're about to the point where it's going to take us we're going to have to leave to go back to the airstrip to get flown out right um He's like, or we could go over there. And he's like, I don't even know if we can get there, but what do you think? And I was like, man, I would rather walk all night and try to get over there and get on them and say we at least tried than stay where we're at and just hope that something's going to pop up closer and like easier basically. And he's like, if you want to go, let's go. So we have packed up all of our stuff, and I think we left that. So you have all, all of camp ridge. on your back. At this point. Yeah, yeah. Yep, it's just a straight up backpack hunt. Mm-hmm. So we all all had each of our own, you know, stuff on our backs. We left the ridge at five, and we uh, went down kind of this long, skinny ridge. Got about right across from them, and we were just trying to keep an eye on them because we didn't want them to just get up and go over the mountain and then have us be like going through the brush where we couldn't see them at all and then pop out and be like, we don't even know where they're at. So we uh, confirmed that they were still where they were and they had bedded down and the guide's like, they're probably going to be bedded. Like that's probably their beds for the night. And I was like, all right, let's go. So we dropped into the brush line and uh, went up through some like nasty alders and it was just, and then we're in like bear country too. Oh yeah. And going through all that stuff in the dark and at, so are you carrying bear spray or a handgun or what uh i had i didn't have anything <laughs> <laughs> i had my gun right yeah i had my gun um and then the, the guide had nothing. a pistol yeah right yeah i yeah we basically had nothing yeah it you can see so far up there that the guide was like eh. mm-hmm. i mean you can bring your pistol if you want. Cause I brought it with me too, like where we got dropped off. And he's like, honestly, it's just extra weight. Like I've got mine. We'll be fine. So mm. looking back on it, I probably would have taken it with me, um, mm. doing it again. But yeah, so we get up through the brush line. We get to this little lip. The guide goes, all right, they're there. And that was like one o'clock in the morning, I think. <laughs> So we finally got there and it had been this what, so what is like legal shooting time in Alaska when it uh, the only thing none. I can compare this to was a black bear hunt I did in Alberta mm-hmm. and they we didn't even hunt the mornings they drop you off at like three or four o'clock in that, the that's afternoon bears. and yeah. then they pick you up at like midnight and it's just getting dark yeah and we ate dinner at like one o'clock in the morning yeah yeah that's pretty much what it's like okay and uh so at one o'clock in the morning we can see them but it's like it's still pretty dark. I would, it's kind of like twilighty. Like mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to see, but it's like, you can still kind of see. And then the sheep are white. So that definitely helps. Right. But we were below them looking up and we could tell that they were still all there bedded. So the storm system had moved through and it hadn't, it'd been pretty damn cold up until then. But you know, when a storm system moves through and then everything clears off and then that's when it gets really cold. Yeah. So, that's basically where we were at. Like we could finally see the stars and it was great. 
Um, but we were on this nasty mountainside hill and the guide's like, there's really no room to pitch our tents. Like, let's just, we'll dig our sleeping bags out. We'll crawl into them and we'll just try Freeze. to sleep for a couple hours. <laughs> Dude, I, uh, Jonah was like, afterwards, Jonah's like, I'm glad he woke me up from that thing. Cause I think I was about ready to, I think I was about ready to die. <laughs> And so we got up about like 4.30. That's when it was like getting light. Uh-huh. And uh, we were all just super cold. Um, the, yeah, a couple of us were like making, like running up and down, like doing little short sprints up and down the mountains to try to warm up. And finally those sheep, we were trying to figure out what to do because we were below them, which isn't exactly an advantage. And walking straight to them wasn't really going to be great. So, uh, and we didn't really know if they would be able to see us come inside hill, but that was probably our best option. So we, we headed up, got about level with them, like elevation wise, and then just started making our way over to them around the hill where in that we had lost them. Mm -hmm. They had gone into what I would consider just like a little fold, but we had a pretty decent like rock outcropping that we were next to for reference um, that they were next to for reference. So we just started heading to that and we're like, all right, hopefully we can, hopefully we can make it happen. So there was a big uh, rock slab that had a big crack in it and we got to that and the guide like poked his head over the rock. And I remember he didn't have, it took him a while to have any kind of like a, I was expecting him to say, Oh, they're right there. And he didn't for a while. And Mm. I'm like, we got all the way over here and they slipped out the back door and we have no idea yeah. where they're at. And this is the sheep hunt. <laughs> and right about that time he goes, Oh, they're right here a hundred yards. And <laughs> so he poked his head down and he's like, all right, just get set up right here. And they're just going to start filing out. So they did. They were, they were all in a line filing out like straight away from us. And then we probably had the whole little crevice was 300 yards wide or so. So it wouldn't have taken them much to just get over and kind of be out yeah. of sight. And they were going directly away from us. So I didn't really have a shot. So um, we just kept good communication. He was talking me into which one was the one that I wanted to shoot. I was keeping my eye on him. And finally he got to about 250 and was like fairly hard quartering. But it was still like I had the shot. And yeah, I shot and got him and he was like you know kind of tumbling around whatever and i shot again and missed because yeah. i didn't i didn't hold um my elevation like i needed to and then i re-racked and he was broadside and i shot him again in the okay. shoulder and <clears throat> that was the sheep hunt and then we loaded him up at seven that night i think and we got back to the airstrip at four the next morning so like 24 hours of just non-stop hiking it was with, rough, a, with a little man. freezing cold nap mixed in yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was so worth it, it rough oh yeah that's it was the so, beauty it was so of the backcountry hunt is is the most mentally because yeah it's it's a beating physically first mm-hmm. of all everyone knows that but mentally it's taxing it's taxing sitting in your tent uh you know for hours on end yeah with weather um the frustration of close calls that don't pan out you know all that stuff adds up mm-hmm. and you know, some people, you know, reach a breaking point, but yeah. uh, it all comes together once in a while. Yeah. And it's it's the validation. It's what makes it worth it. Yeah. I remember when we loaded the packs up to leave, when I 
picked my pack up or I got it on my back, I stood up. I literally had the thought of like, I don't know if I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like it was just super heavy and like you're walking in like the that ground up there is like basically in the permafrost or whatever and it's like super squishy and it's kind of hard to walk in. And I was like, well, I don't know if I can make this. And we just like, I just kept thinking like step by step, you just like got to make it. We would sit down and take breaks. And I think one of the last breaks we took when I stood up, I was like, I, we can't stop anymore because I don't think I can get up if we stop <laughs> right. again. And we finally got, you know, we got there and the, the pilot flew in to pick us up. He brought those guys some beer <laughs> and uh, me and the guide, they were getting shuttled around. The camera guy had to get shuttled to another plane and then the pilot was coming back to pick us up. So he uh, left us a couple of beers and me and the guide were like drinking and like looking at where we had gone and kind of how we did it. Uh-huh. And I remember that night when I was going up, I was like, this is like the worst thing <laughs> ever. But I mean, within hours we were drinking that beer and I was like, wasn't that bad. Right. Like, it was right. Just once the pack's so off your it. back, it, that's like the moment when you're like, we did it. Yeah. And it feels good. Mm-hmm. And it was so worth it. Extreme sense of accomplishment. What it's is awesome. your favorite backcountry snack? Mine is smoked oysters. Out of the ten, you know, Ew. yeah, maybe if you want to take crackers, even better. I just usually <laughs> just take the pocket knife and just eat them. Uh, yeah. And I like and these can't be good for you, but they're full of calories. I like those little stinger waffle things. Oh, you like the waffles? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, a staple on the sheep hunt was uh, sour patch kids. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that was good. Nice little pick me up for I think everybody. But yeah, I like those sour patch kids. And then some I think is underrated is just like straight up peanut butter or cheese crackers yeah just like the ones that i've got in the cupboard mm-hmm. like those are super good i'll sometimes cook like a whole package of bacon pre like pre-cook it yeah yeah and then take tortillas peanut butter peanut butter or you know cheese or whatever have you done just peanut butter with, i've done peanut butter with the bacon I peanut like butter it. bacon dude yeah, yeah peanut like butter it. bacon honey is good <clears throat> i like go from that and then i'll go over to where i'll just do like salami cheese wraps mm. with uh honey mustard packets so you know we've both been able to make careers in this industry mm-hmm. we're not millionaires sheep hunts are no. expensive so did you did you like have some help from a sponsor or like i did yeah, yeah. um we were actually i don't know if i can talk about it we were well, so you don't have we to were, say who it was or anything but like well, yeah six hour okay. so we were shooting um and a new iteration to the cross rifle. Okay. We don't want yeah, th- for sure. people to think that you're charging an arm and a leg no. here and then you're, you know, getting to go on sheep no. $50,000. Well, doll mm-hmm. sheep's probably 25 or 30 last time I looked. Yeah, they're 25-ish, yeah. I think. Um, no, six hour pulled it together for me and I and so now you want more thankful. Now you want to get your sheep slam? <laughs> Who doesn't, man? <laughs> Who doesn't? Well, one thing with it, going on that doll sheep hunt, that's the one species of like the four that I hadn't been on. Uh-huh. Um, so that was kind of cool. And it was mine. Like right. I've filmed all the other ones, but that was one that I really wanted to go on too because of like the whole, you're literally, you know, you're on a 10 day backpack hunt. Like everything mm-hmm. you need for 10 days is in your backpack. Yeah. And you just well, go I, out and wander around and figure it out. You know, my best chance is I, I just keep, handing new mexico like i think it's like thirty eight hundred dollars or something yeah. every, and they give all of it but like a thirty dollar processing fee back mm-hmm. they hold it for a little bit but you know that's like my best i guess my best chance let's hey any of my sponsors listening uh 
I'd like to go on a sheep hunt too. Just putting that out there. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so another cool thing that you just did is you went on, you called it a, a hunting moon. And you yeah, and did. your lovely bride, mm-hmm. Leah, y'all didn't go on a honeymoon. Y'all got married. When, when did y'all get married? I saw on Instagram, but I don't remember what. We got married. Do you want to hear something kind of funny sure. that we did? Yeah. Um, so we got married June 4th, uh-huh. but we really got married January 8th. We uh, eloped for, um, she has health insurance. I didn't at the time. Okay. So we got married for the health insurance. Didn't tell anybody. Didn't tell our parents until wow. June 4th after the ceremony. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, it was funny. But uh, yeah, so ba- June 4th. Um, yeah, and we didn't like do a honeymoon right off the bat. Uh-huh. Um, we kind of had, there was like, we just had some other stuff going on. And we had drawn tags in Montana. I was pretty sure I was going to draw a tag in Wyoming. And then we had our Idaho tags because we're Idaho residents. Um and I was like, well, wouldn't it be awesome if you could, like, take time off of work and we could go do some of these trips? So she got it figured out. She took three weeks off of work and we went to Idaho. We came out here to the ranch to help with some cow stuff. Went to Wyoming for a week. Went to Montana for a week. And then, yeah, lived out of our little 14-foot cargo trailer. That's awesome. A hunting moon. Hunting moon. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And she, she's like, grew up. In the outdoors and on horseback. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Has the same interest as you. So yeah, it wasn't like. For sure. Like if I told my wife, hey, uh, when we were getting married, I think we should go on a three-week hunting trip for our honeymoon. <laughs> She'd be like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. We are not doing that. We're going to the beach. Yeah. 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 That's pretty and awesome. And that's like, yeah, that's right up her alley. And that's one thing that's super cool that we get to share together is that's pretty special. I'm going to ask you a little bit of a personal question. Um, do, is it. Is it hard for you or has it ever been, have you ever felt like it was like a little bit of an uphill battle being openly gay in the hunting industry? Mm -mm. Everybody that I've worked with, like the companies that I've surrounded myself with or more so the companies that have literally brought me in, like Uh that's more what it is, is like the companies have brought me in because of like my skills and what I'm good at Mm -hmm. and that's it, like. There's never been any... Your work speaks for itself. Yeah. Right. And, you know, even, like, the woman thing, like, that's never... They they don't bring me on because I'm a girl. They mm-hmm. bring me on because I'm good at what I do. Right. Which right. has been... Really which awesome. I told you... Oh, I think it was the other night. Like, there's very few women who I don't... Th- I don't want to say very few. It seems like there's more women in the industry, especially, like, in- influencers, mm-hmm. that use sex appeal to you know get a sponsor or get a contract instead of their work ethic and the results right it seems that way sometimes (laughs) i mean we can be honest here it is that way and so like that's why you know before i came here in 2020 i knew who you were Mm -hmm. um i had only heard good things about you and then we met and it was like wow you know we think a lot alike and Mm -hmm. um you you know what you're doing when it comes to hunting hell you put that pop up. I shot the deer out of the first morning. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. well, you have to know how to read the land. You have to know what the deer are doing. I'm gonna put cable right here. Freaking thirty minutes. Yeah. One of the bucks you had on camera. And there's no feeders here in Nebraska. No. This they're coming out of a cornfield, which you can't even see. It's mm-hmm. way up top mm-hmm. on like the mesa up here, and they're coming down into the creek bottoms. Yeah. Because uh, they're feeding at night, and they're coming down, and and you know th- the way that they're gonna travel. Mm-hmm. Doesn't always happen in the first thirty minutes. 
but right. I love it when it does. <laughs> you don't want to sell it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're not going to sell it as that, but yeah. You know. But yeah, I've literally just been, you know, when I was a kid out like shooting rabbits or whatever, like I was paying attention to what the deer were doing and just, uh-huh. you know, I don't know. It's just kind of like, I know this place like the back of my hand, I think. Yeah. Do you guys get any mountain lions here? Um, Cause you got you've got mule deer, you've got whitetail, you've got elk, which we could talk about also. But yeah, yeah, we've got so like up in the Pine Ridge, like you were talking about, they've uh-huh. got like an actual, they have a population of mountain lions. I don't know what they are. Right. I honestly have no idea. Um, but they do like stretch out and s- I don't want to say stray a little because I think mountain lions have like a 150 mile home range it's or huge, something yeah. like that. It's huge. Um, so. I have yet to see one on the ranch, like on the myself and with my eyeballs. But yeah, I got one, a picture of one the other day. Yeah, you and showed it to me. Yeah, that's pretty much, and that's like a, maybe in every other year thing we might cut some tracks or we okay. might get one on camera. Uh-huh. Um, but I've heard that the river bottom is like not big enough woods. It's pretty narrow, and mm. they just don't like to stay here. Right, but. So yeah. something that does like to stay here, which hasn't always been the case, are elk. And when you were a kid, yeah. you guys didn't have elk. No, no, we didn't have elk. And I can't even remember, you know, like dad the other day was like, we'd seen elk here and there. And I don't even remember that. Yeah. Um, I just remember all of a sudden it seemed like you'd see a cow here and there. You'd see a bull here and there. And then it just like, I mean, that was pretty much 10 years ago. Hmm. And then now... They still, I don't, I wouldn't really say they're super resident to the ranch. They pass through definitely. Um, but there are starting to be more of them for sure. Right. Which well, is cool. I remember when I was here the first time, I just saw this big black dot in the middle of a prairie and mm-hmm. I was like, I looked through this body scope. I said, why is there an elk in your pasture over there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that was we, like an elk ranch or yeah, something? Yeah. Like, uh, what, there's no high fences here, but no. it's like a, I don't, I don't know if it's a once in a lifetime tag, but it's very hard to draw. It is, yeah. It's a once in a lifetime tag for residents only. Mm. Um, I think non the only way a non resident can get a tag, there might be like a lottery, mm-hmm. and then there's like a governor's tag type mm. thing mm-hmm. that they can purchase. But other than that, no, it's super limited. And because it's limited, like we get some big bulls. I, yeah, I mean the the ones that I've seen, they're, they're pretty, they're very nice, nicer yeah. than anything I saw in Wyoming in ten yeah. days. Yeah, you're. I mean, you're like consistently seeing three twenty bulls. Yeah. Like, so Wendy, so but you did you worked with is it Nebraska Fish and Game? What is your state wildlife called? Uh, yeah, just Nebraska Game and Fish. Okay, so you right. actually worked with them to figure out a way to get into a landowner draw yeah, system. So the way it seems, I have n- I don't know if I've seen like a map where it's I've had to have seen a map where it's actually like laid out of the landowner area, but it's pretty much all up in the pine trees uh-huh. where. They had elk up there before we had elk elk here for sure. But now that the elk are branching out and they're getting, you know, on they're going on to other land and whatever, they're starting to, and I know that they're starting to collar these elk so they can see kind of where they like to go. Their migration so, pattern. Yeah. So I basically just had to prove that we had had elk here. I believe it was like three of the four seasons or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and then they had them collared so they kind of knew that they were hanging out here too or around. And yeah, we just put a little section into a landowner um, that that would be qualified for landowner permits. So then 
like now, you know, dad can put in for a permit. I can put in for a permit. Um, Leah can even put in for a permit because she's, uh, yeah, she's married to a child okay. of the landowner. So. And do you, do you know how long that'll probably take? Man, somebody told me, I thought they said that it was averaging like four points okay. or something like that currently to draw. But, you know, there's also, they, I, the elk tag numbers, I think they're increasing them. But then as you open up and get more landowners to put in, then it's just... Right. It, it could be making it harder to draw, I guess. Okay. What would you say is... Oh, it's starting to snow out there. Yeah. What would you say is uh, the next thing on your bucket list that you want to hunt for yourself? Mm. I don't want to finish my sheep slam. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. That's a big thing, like... Or just do more... You shot I, a caribou with your bow this year. I did shoot a... Bo- yeah, a caribou that with my bow in Alaska. Yep, that was with... Uh, the meat eater crew. Uh-huh. See, that's something that interests me just from a logistics and like financial standpoint mm-hmm. because you can, the average guy can, say someone that could afford this hunt, you mm-hmm. know, you could go to Alaska and do a uh, transport service where they just drop you. Yeah. Say, okay, we'll see you in a week or whatever it is. Yep. Drop camp hunt, they fly you in. So you could do it for like under four or five grand. Yeah, you yeah. can. Yep. And there's like, you know, you're bringing everything. You're bringing all your own meals. You're bringing your own tent, gear, mm-hmm. everything. Um, you just got to stay within the transporter's parameters of weight. And they'll fly in, drop you off. And they, they drop you off in, you know, a place. Like, a lot of times with caribou, they'll go see where the migration is and they'll drop you off in front of it. Okay. Or see where a lot of caribou are and try to drop you off pretty close to those. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, for – and that's definitely like an adventure you know, that's yeah. an adventure hunt. You're dropped long ways from really anything you can walk to. Like when you get dropped, you're kind of, you're there. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you have bad weather on that trip? No, we didn't. It was super hot. Huh. It was really hot. And uh, it was interesting look, watching those caribou. We went pretty early. We went in August over the opener. And so they weren't like, they weren't rutting or anything. And they weren't even really... We didn't experience a migration of where you, you know, you see 400 caribou at least like coming across to you. Like we didn't, we didn't witness that. They were a little more spread out and just kind of like those things just kind of do whatever they want. It's really weird. You know, Mm. you're used to watching elk that kind of move like from a feeding area to a bedding area and they've kind of got a system. Those caribou were just like all over the place. Really? Yeah. So, okay, so I'm putting that on the bucket list. This is probably like the next North American thing. They're I fun. Do, which yeah. I've told you, though, you need to do Africa at some point because I know yeah. you, you like to pull the trigger and it's a target-rich environment over there. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I've never been like... I said that too for, and then I went. For no other reason than just like, I love mule deer, man. Mm-hmm. Mm. I love mule deer, so... Right. Um, the house that... That we're in right now. Mm-hmm. This house has been moved a couple times. Yeah. I don't know how you move a house. This is not a small... I mean, this is like a two-bedroom, bath, full kitchen, living room. Put them on a hay sled, man. Really? <laughs> Pretty much. That's <laughs> how we move the one that's down there. This one was with an actual, like, a house mover. Came down, and they had, like, a... They had a dozer that they pulled it with. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was... Qu- I was pretty little when it happened, but it was... Yeah. It was quite the quite the deal well i like i like the uh the rustic nature of it and you know we've got wood burning uh heating sources in here which Mm -hmm. 
I, I think it's so cool. Like you can, you can, depending on how hot you make your fire, you can be really comfortable or you can be sweating, you know? Yeah. Um, but then you also look out and I, it's an Indian name. I don't remember the name of the river. Uh, Niobrara. Niobrara. Mm-hmm. And you just look out anywhere from the living room and you've got this beautiful view with the, the sand hills in the background. Yeah. Um, and when you're here in camp, you know, you feel like part of the, uh, part of the Bud family. Which, yeah. um, and we've really tried to do that. We keep camps pretty tight, like, um, you know, currently with our setup, especially in this house, pretty much cap it at f- a group of four, mm-hmm. um, which pretty much keeps it to, you know, you're here by yourself. We've got <clears throat> another couple here, so there's three of you this week, but it still gives you enough room where you like can spread out. And you don't, you know, it's, we've always wanted to keep it small and like, you know, quality and homey. I've I've been to some of the camps where, you know, there's like 12, 15 people in camp. And oh, yeah. That's like a vibe of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we just wanted to keep it a little more homey, I guess. Well, like I said, it's uh, that was a lot of the appeal for me to come back, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, to get to hang out with you again, to get to have a beer with your dad in the evenings and, and yeah. you know, shoot the breeze with, with him. Um, absolutely recommend to anyone looking for a whitetail or or a mule deer hunt to to check out running waters so i appreciate it thanks for having me back thanks for coming back yeah yeah it's been it's worked out good yeah well thanks for jumping on the show i appreciate it and uh maybe next time maybe in a couple years i'll bring my son up here i think he'd like to see this part of the world yeah yeah it's perfect yeah well thanks jordan thanks so there she goes jordan bud of running water hunting and also her new, her new project is, I think, the gear, the gear talk. I think that's what she said. Oh, it's a meat eater production. Uh, no, Jordan does not adhere to uh, the BHA type ideologies <laughs> that so many of us despise. Uh, no, she is a a like minded soul and uh, sharp as attack, has multiple ARs and loves to shoot them. So. Yeah, and I am proud to call her my friend. Uh, That segment brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee company, veteran-owned and operated. Whether you're looking for a light, medium, or dark roaster, maybe you want to check out some of their unapologetically patriotic swag. Yeah, they've got some cool stuff. You can find it all at blackriflecoffee.com. Use that promo code LONESTAR20 at checkout and save 20% off your order. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock, we got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Jeff Barry as well as Jordan. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying Merry Christmas, and y'all have a great week in the outdoors. To kiss the hand of-